welcome back to Book Me Podcast, sponsored by Nimbus Publishing. I'm Lindsay Glowed Rainingbird. Join me as we journey through contemporary can lit, reading as much as we can and chatting with the authors, illustrators, and other bookish folk injecting new vibrancy into our national literary scene as we go. So grab a snack, get cozy, break that binding, dog ear those pages, let's dig into it. Today we're talking to Michelle Womble, author of the novel Birth Road, the story of one woman's road to motherhood and the first book I've read in its entirety in one day in I don't know how long. It's in parts heartbreaking, devastating, and just stunningly beautifully written. Inspired by her grandmother's life coming of age in Truro in Boston, Michelle is here to chat about the process of recreating historical Truro, the woman who inspired it all, and what it takes to be considered a good mother anyway. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for joining us to revamp the Book Me podcast. This is our first episode. I heard I'm the first guest of the season, so congratulations, congratulations on becoming a host. To you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So was writing a novel something you had always wanted to do? It really was, but you wouldn't have known it if you knew me. Uh, it's not something I talked about, and it's not something I even worked on, uh, writing fiction. But deep down, I always knew I wanted to write a book. And throughout my life, I had enjoyed writing and English classes, and I was a journalism grad, but it wasn't the kind of writing I ever did. I worked in the government for many years doing communications work, and so it was the kind of writing that really didn't have a creative spark to it, you know, speeches and news releases, policy papers, that kind of thing. Not the fun stuff. Not the fun stuff, and it's it's really the fiction. It's the putting the words on the page and taking all of the thoughts and chaos and bringing them together. Uh, to create a story that I really enjoy. I, I almost look at it like a puzzle of words, and you're the one to put them together and, and to create the final product. That's beautiful. So you had this idea for quite a while, is that right? Well, yes. So it started out that a friend of mine, Kim Dano, uh, she's actually the artist who did the map in the book, Many years ago, like over a decade ago, we both enjoy writing. So we said, let's let's start sending our writing back and forth to each other because we're huge procrastinators. So we did that. And the stories I started to write were about my grandmother because she had recently passed away. And I had absolutely no intention of writing a novel. This was just something for fun that Kim and I could do and we could, you know, get back into writing. And the first story I ever sent her was called The Doll. And it is one of the first chapters in the book, which takes place at Christmas time. And uh, so that's how it all started many, many years ago. And, and that's the story where her sister gets a doll, but she thinks she doesn't. Yes, yes. And that was actually based on a story my grandmother had told me years ago. But obviously, I didn't start writing a novel at that point. And years went by, and I had been working for the federal government, and I worked from home. I was very lucky. But there was a huge downsizing during the Harper government, and uh, my job was in Ottawa, so I was given the ultimatum, if you want to keep your job, come to Ottawa, or you can take a package. That was kind of a no-brainer. So, like, no, thank you. Uh, I'll take the package. <laughs> and uh, I said to my husband, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to take those stories, and that's what I'm going to do. I, the, I viewed it as a gift, even though at the time it was a little stressful losing your job. But I viewed it as a gift, and I said, I'm going to write this book, and I'm going to write about my grandmother's life. 
And so I looked into um, programs, and the Humber School of Creative Writing has a correspondence program. And I saw that Donna Morrissey was one of their mentors. Living legend. Oh, I love her. I mean, as a person and as a writer, I think she's an incredible storyteller, and she's so gifted. So I thought, if I get in and if I get her, I only wanted to do it if I got her, uh, then I would do it. So I lucked out. And it's exactly what I needed. Like, I am nothing without a deadline. And so I need somebody to be accountable to, and I need a deadline. And so for six months, uh, I wrote and sent her my pages. And that was the beginning of the book. I mean, I didn't get very far in those six months, uh, probably maybe a quarter of the way in or third. But uh, it's what's, it started it all. And how was it working with her? I had never really, other than Kim, showed anybody anything I'd written before. And she was so encouraging. She told me she thought my stuff was really good. So, Which it is. <laughs> well, I know, but uh, I never thought it was. And so I think like all artists, you know, everybody is so hard on themselves and you think your, your stuff is no good. But uh, I think the best thing that came out of that was that it really gave me hope and it spurred me on. It, it made me think, I can actually do this. Unfortunately, at the end of the six months, I didn't write again. You know, life gets in the way. So over the next several years, I was literally haunted by that book. I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was with me when I went to bed at night, when I woke up in the morning. And, uh, you know, over the years, I tried to pick it up again and get going. But I just couldn't get my butt in the chair, basically. But you couldn't let go of it But I could not let go. And uh, it wasn't until 2019, my good neighbor and friend, Sylvia Gunnery, she's a writer as well, she strongly encouraged me to contact Chris Benjamin. He was doing a writer uh, in residency at the South Shore Public Libraries in Lunenburg. And she said, talk to him and you can get going again on your book. And so I did. And so again, for a six-month period... I had Chris, I had him to send my pages to every week. I had to meet with him, so I had a deadline. And in those six months, I finished the book. Well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) So it's only about a year of typing, but it literally was a decade of thinking about it. And I think that makes all the difference. If I sat down and wrote it in a year, 10 years ago, it wouldn't be the same book. Because I put so much thought into it over all those years. I think that's what made the difference. Yeah, you had all those ideas percolating. Yeah, I mean, originally it was going to be, you know, the facts. It was going to be based on my grandmother's life and it was going to follow her true events. But that isn't the story that came to me. So how much is based in fact and how much did you tweak just to... Okay, everyone wants to know that yeah. question. Especially everyone from Truro. Of question course. All the time. Uh, well... As I like to say, especially to my relatives, this is a book of fiction. (laughs) It's a work of fiction. When I started to write, I had all these different uh, thoughts in my head, and I was going down so many different roads. But ultimately, the story that came to me had this friend, Madge, who is totally fictional. And it was their story I wanted to tell. And I did bring in Edgar, who, you know, her husband was named Edgar. I kept many of the same names as members of my family. But they all became fictionalized characters. I can't give all the secrets away in the book. Of but, course. Uh, there are many other things that, that happened to her in her life. You know, my grandmother did grow up in a logging camp. She did go to Boston when she was a young girl. So there are many things based on fact, but it's been fictionalized. So why did you feel that you needed to add that character of Madge? What was so essential about her? Well, she just came to me. She just came to me. And... 
I mean, obviously, this is my first book, so I don't know the process of others, but it's almost like a movie in my head. And so the characters appear, and I just follow them. Aunt Gertie and Aunt Nettie, you know. Aunt Gertie. Love Aunt Gertie. Oh, she's my favorite. Now, <laughs> I had an Aunt Gertie growing up. She was my great aunt. So I kind of based it on her, the jewelry. She'd let me wear all this costume jewelry, and she was just kind of an over-the-top personality. She was married to a guy from Ireland or Scotland. And uh, so it's based on her, but Helen didn't have her in her life. Her life was a struggle. So I thought she needed a few of these people in her life to help along the way. Absolutely. So your grandmother was telling you all these stories when you were growing up. She told me a few stories. Okay. Yeah, a few, uh, not very many. Uh, even my own mom didn't know a lot about my grandmother's life or her father's life either. And so a lot of it I had to, you know, make up on my own. It's to the point where mom and I will be sitting there and going, was this real or was this made up? Like we <laughs> were so confused now. We're sometimes we're like, was that dumb real? I'm like, yeah, that was real. I'm like this part wasn't. So it's kind of funny. And what did she think of the book, your mother? Oh, my gosh. Well, I say in the acknowledgments, like, literally, she is my number one fan. And she has been thrilled with the book and the whole process. Um, she's been with me every step of the way. And she grew up in Truro as well. And my grandmother and my great-grandmother, we all did. And so we still have so many people there that we know, friends still in Truro, even though my mom lives down by me on the South Shore now. So every night we talk, and uh, we, we call it the book report. She'll tell me who she spoke to that day and got emails from about the book and who liked it. And I'll say, oh, I got emails from so-and-so. And, you know, it's been really fun. So in general, the response has been out of this world. I, I'm totally overwhelmed. I really am by the response. I, a day has not gone by that I haven't got some kind of an email or text from somebody, whether it's, you know, a close friend or a family member or people I haven't seen or spoken to in over 30 years. And they're telling me, you know, how much the book has touched them, how Helen won't leave them. Haunt them. Yeah, yeah. Helen stayed with them for days. And I, it's like every day I get a little mini review, a positive one, which is good. And it's just been so wonderful. I can't get over it. I can't get over that people would take the time to, you know, send these congratulatory emails telling me what they thought of the book and how it's touched them. So, oh, it's a beautiful book. I gave it to my mother-in-law who grew up in like Onslow, Truro. Oh, really? And she messaged me like two days after she had read it. And she was just, it brought up so much. Like my life is so similar to all this stuff that's written in here. Like it brought up a lot for her too. So I've heard that from women of that generation. I've gotten that. I have that comment from quite a few who say, "I see myself in this story. This reminds me of of my childhood, or I I can see these people that I grew up with in my communities." So you know, th so that's it's a magical. That is a magical big that you could do it that. Is. Though. Yeah. So when you had all these stories, at what point did you realize, there's a novel here, I need to write it? I wanted to do something a little bit different. And I wanted the book to be about memories. When I pictured uh, Helen walking down the birth road, I'm picturing her talking about the key moments in her life, like thinking back and what brought me to this point in my life where I'm going to have this baby. I didn't want to write the kind of book where every detail of every day, it's like, and then I woke up and this happened, and the next day this happened. I don't really enjoy that kind of book. I think readers 
really want to think and to imagine. And that's at least that's what I want when I read a book. So I wanted these small little standalone uh, chapters. Like each one could be its own little story on its own. And I didn't want it to flow day by day. And so that's kind of what I tried to do. And with the, I thought with memories, each chapter is a memory. So when you look back, the memories that Helen had as a child made sense to her at the end of the book. Made sense to all of us. Yeah, you know what I mean. So because our memories are usually triggered by something, those are the chapter headings. So when you have pink peppermints, you know, throughout her life, every time she tasted pink peppermint, she was going to think of that special someone. Or every time she smelled freshly cut spruce. She was going to think back to that Christmas day in her childhood. And because it was written that way, I could write them in any order I wanted. And then I switched them around into the order that became at the end of the book. Like the big climax scene, which everyone probably, if you've read the book, knows which one that is. Uh, I read, I wrote that early on. So it wasn't like I wrote it from the beginning to the end. You named some characters in tribute, oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah. You're saying some are completely invented, some you named so, four people. Yeah, that was kind of a fun aspect of the book is naming characters because you really want to be careful <laughs> because I did use the real names of my grandmother right. and my mother's father, Edgar, and Helen's parents and her siblings. I used all the, the real names. But the other characters in the book, um, you know, I thought well, I could have some fun with this. So in the book, there's a teacher, Miss McMillan, and she plays a really key role in Helen's uh, going to school. And I based her on a teacher I had in Truro at Willow Street School, Mrs. McMillan. She was always my favorite teacher. And so when I went to Truro for my book launch, I found her. I looked her up. She still lived in the same house. And I took her the book. And what did you say? I think she was pretty surprised. I, first of all, I didn't know she'd remember who I was. And I said, you know, I had a mask on, but I said, it's Michelle Walbolt from Willow Street School. And she was like, oh, yes. And she remembered me. And I told her that I'd based a character on her and named her after her. And she was quite pleased. She was, it was lovely. Well, it who was wouldn't really be? Nice. That's super yeah. flattering. It was nice. Yeah, no, teachers, they just touch you so much, especially the ones that get you into reading and writing. I truly believe that. And uh, the other teacher in the book, he came to me as a man, um, but McDade was the name of my high school English teacher. And I really, uh, I really enjoyed her as well. So that's why I gave that name. So I don't want to give too much away, but there is quite a bit of abuse depicted in the novel. Was it really hard to include that when you were writing? Yes, I did find those scenes hard to write. I mean, I knew that in my grandmother's own life that she had uh, suffered abuse in the form of verbal abuse, for sure. And we believe probably physical abuse as well. So it was hard to think of that and to write it. I really, I didn't want to be too graphic, and I don't believe I was. I just wanted to ensure, you know, the reader really got the idea of the severity of it. Well, these things do happen. These things do happen. So unfortunately, I don't think the world has changed that much. There is still domestic abuse, men and women. And I think the main thing that has changed are the opportunities and the supports that are available to victims. Back then, if a woman went to the police, you know, it was pretty rare anything was done about it. And even if they went to court, um, men always, most always came out victorious. So I think that the difference now is the support and 
luckily, you know, that it's it's talked about more. Because back then it really wasn't talked about. It was, people were ashamed. Of course, yeah. yeah. Okay, so what was the process like when you were recreating historical Truro? I know you did a lot of research. You were in the archives. I really wanted Stanfields, for one thing, to be part of the book. My mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, they all worked at Stanfields at some point in their life. And so because Stanfields is such a big part of Truro, I also knew I could use it to my advantage in the book and keep coming back to it. Those were some of my favorite parts of the book, by the way. The depictions of Stanfields and the people there and the coupon books and everything. So I did contact um, Tom Stanfield. He's retired now, but he was still working at that time. And he's a family friend. So he arranged for me to go all through the mill from the making of the wool to the sewing area. And it has not changed over the years at all. Obviously, they have electronics now and all that kind of thing, but the general outlook inside looks much as it would have back in my grandmother's day. They still have the large windows lining the back that overlook the marsh. Um, There's no air conditioning. It's, you know, the ladies are all at their machines. So I got a chance to talk to a lot of the workers, and uh, Tom also gave me the name of a couple of retired gentlemen. So I met with them individually. And one of them had worked for Stanfields, I think, for almost 50 years. Oh, wow. And so he was there also back in the day. And he, they both had tons of stories for me. And I used a lot of them in the book and fictionalized the stories. I mean, I also researched everything from train schedules and what trains were like on the inside during that time and what skates, kind of skates people would have worn, the movies the songs on the radio, the kinds of radio, you know, I tried to make it very authentic. And I, I really hope that I I uh, did a good job on that because I wanted it to be like people were really in that time. Oh, my gosh, you did a great job with that. <laughs> Thank you. It was just it felt like a movie to me and it just felt so authentic. I felt like I was there. That's wonderful <laughs> to hear. <laughs> During my editing, well into my editing process, I thought maybe it would be good to have a map the beginning of the book because in my mind I watch Helen walking down the road I can see everything so clearly and I know that she's smelling certain things or seeing things that are bringing on these memories so I thought it'd be great if we had a map and then all the readers could kind of experience that and so I approached Nimbus and uh, they thought it was a great idea and I said I have the perfect person who is my friend Kim who's an amazing artist Kim Dano And so she graciously agreed, and uh, she did the map. So I provided her with all kinds of historical photos. I went to Truro, and I took pictures of the actual houses as they look today. Because a lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same, A lot has changed, and a lot has stayed the same. The maternity's home is still there. It looks exactly the same. It's an apartment complex, I think. Obviously, Stanfields is there. The house with the stone walkway. I mean, Helen actually lived in that house, and I think it's an insurance company (laughs) now. Uh, So that was great. She did the map, and um, I've had a lot of feedback that people really liked the map at the beginning of the book, so that's great. The other thing, shortly after I heard from Nimbus that they were accepting my manuscript and I got a contract, uh, my mother had her birthday, which was on July 18th. And so we went to Truro on her birthday, and we found the house out on Picto Road where Helen had boarded when she was pregnant. And we went to the door and a lady was there and we talked to her and confirmed that we did have the right house. 
And so the mom and I walked. It was a beautiful sunny day. And we walked from that house out on Picto Road all down through Bible Hill, through town, over the bridge, which overlooks Stanfields, and all the way down to Queen Street to the maternity home. It was amazing. It's a long walk, too. It is a long walk. I'm from Truro, I know. (laughs) And... uh, we just stopped along the way and took pictures of all the different houses. And uh, my husband and one of my sons were there and they drove and met us. It was incredible. We just, we had such a good time. Full circle moment. It was, it was, yeah. Reading Birth Road, location very much felt like an extra character in the story. Was that intentional? Truro is home for me. I mean, I left there when I was 18 years old, but no matter what, it always feels like home. It's a special place. And I think, you know, we all grow up and can't wait to get to the place we came from. I mean, I couldn't wait to get to a big city. And then I went to one and I couldn't wait to come back. (laughs) Um, But for me, I really wanted Tro to be the setting of the book, obviously. And I also wanted to portray it in the way I saw it when I was young. So when I grew up, there was always that one person in town who was the gossip and always seemed to have all these stories about other families. And as a child, you wondered, how do they know these things? And so I knew that my grandmother's family as well had many secrets in their life. And I wanted to keep those secrets as part of the book and even use them to help me move the plot along. And so even though it's Truro we're talking about, just like any small place in any part of the globe, the same thing happens. You've got hearsay, you've got whispers. And my favorite line in the book, which is the beginning of the book, really speaks to Truro. And I thought I'd just read that for you now. This was a small place where the wind carried whispers like snowflakes and all heads turned eagerly to catch them on their tongues. Yeah, definitely. I thought so. I really thought that captured the essence of of where she was growing up and what she was dealing with and listening to these rumors around her and not understanding what was going on in her own family. Would you ever consider revisiting these characters in a future novel? I'd love that. I love them. (laughs) Didn't want the book to end. I've heard that from other people. (laughs) And no, Helen's story is over. Uh So I think we'll leave it to the readers to imagine what happens to Helen after she has her baby. Or until maybe one of your sons writes a book and continues it on. maybe. More family history. (laughs) And you're working on a second novel right now? Can you tell us anything about that? I do have a couple of projects on the go. And just like my first one, they won't leave me. They, I mean, I've had these ideas for quite a few years, so I know I have to get them down on paper. And one of them I, I am uh, writing, but I'm just, right now, life is so crazy with, with the book and promoting it, and I'm going through a crazy house renovation. So as soon as things settle down a little, I will be uh, continuing with this novel, which is a historical novel again. And this time it's uh, set down on the south shore of Nova Scotia. But it isn't about the same timeline. It's in the 1930s. Be a whole series. Yeah, well, and <laughs> that's all I'm going to say about that one. <laughs> okay, and then apropos of nothing, I'd just like to know what are you currently reading or what's on the top of your to-read pile? I just started uh, the Dictionary of Lost Words. So far, you know, I'm just absolutely loving the writing, and I think it's going to be a really good read. I recently finished... Stevens Malone, The History of Rain. It was very, very good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, one of my other favorites recently was uh, The Cloud Cuckoo Land oh, yeah. by Anthony Dower. 
All the Light You Cannot See is one of my all-time favorite books. So I was really curious to see where he was going with this. It's totally different. It's a really good story as well. Awesome. And then you picked something to read for us. I have. The book starts out with Helen looking back in a prologue. She's an older woman looking back and talking about the road she walked. And this first chapter is in the summer of 1946. So she's starting out the day before she gives birth, actually. It's called Thunderstorms. Thunderstorms. Summer, 1946. The full force of heaven rained down on us that night. Each rattling crack of thunder was followed by a brief light and held such shocking intensity I could not help but think of my father. When storms shook our tiny cabin in the woods, he held me close and told me not to worry. It was only God clearing his head for tomorrow. Good things are coming, he said. God is getting ready for a special day. And it was a special day, the day I walked that road. The best memory I have is the day she was born. Mrs. Johnson told me just the week before that I was close. You've dropped, Helen. It won't be long now. She was excited at the prospect of having a baby in her house again, and all the joy she knew came with a little one. At that point, I was so naive and scared, I did not know what to expect, but I was determined to face it with courage. I had no desire to involve my mother in the birth of my child. She would not understand or accept my decisions. There was no use trying to explain. All I knew was that I needed to be away from the familiar and start living a new life, a life of my own. Mrs. Johnson was more than happy to rent me a room when I arrived at her door six months earlier, soaking wet, trembling, and unable to speak. A lost soul is what she called me that day, and I think she may have been right, but time had done its work, and I felt like a new person. Two people, really, myself and the little one growing inside me. Hope had not been something I was taught as a child, but it was something I now clung to. At dawn that summer's day, I quietly gathered my bag and crept down the stairs. The weathered floorboards on the old porch were still damp, and I paused to look at the long road ahead. Steam rose from the dirt, erasing last night's storm. The fields surrounding the house were lush and green, and the morning dew clung to each blade of grass like stubborn tears. I wore the only coat I had to cover my large stomach. It was not meant for summer, and I knew the coming heat would be unbearable, but it was my only choice. My suitcase weighed me down as I struggled to walk, to keep breathing through the pains that gripped my belly and traveled down my back. I had seven miles to go. Lingering storm clouds kept the light at bay as I approached the end of Mrs. Johnson's lane. Before turning onto the main road, I stopped under the oak trees. I closed my eyes and listened. I could make out the robins, warblers, the thrush as they brought in the new day. I had never heard birds so clearly. Their high-pitched calls and low-twittering melodies mingled together to create an air of exciting anticipation. I opened my eyes to search for the morning choir, just as the sun started to peek through the clouds. The light was streaming through the outstretched branches, cascading toward the earth. I smiled, remembering the magical shafts of light from my childhood in the woods. That's beautiful. Thank you. So you talked about having this idea for decades. And I mentioned to you in our correspondence that I had read Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, where she talks about how creative ideas and inspiration will sit with you. But if you don't grasp them, they'll leave and find a different creative outlet. So I guess my question to you was, how did you grasp that? And was that a concern for you that it would, if you didn't, it would just go away? 
When I read your email and you mentioned Elizabeth Gil- Gilbert and Big Magic, I just couldn't believe it because here it is sitting beside my desk always. I read this book in 2019 just as I was about to start the writing process again. And it just spoke to me when she talked about how ideas come to you and you have to grasp them or they'll haunt you or they'll leave. Now, mine luckily had stayed with me for a very long time, but they were haunting me. And uh, I just found so much inspiration in this book. And I think anybody who who is an artist of any kind would also. Uh, I brought it with me today to show you. And on the inside cover, I have written all the different times I've read it. So I've already read it four times, and I think I'll probably read it many more in the years to come. Big Magic was also spoke to me when I read it as well. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I love the book, and I'm excited to see what else comes. Do you have any upcoming events? Yes, I will be at the Mayflower Indigo, the Mayflower Mall in Sydney, on July 16th, doing a reading. So if you're anywhere near there, stop by and meet her for yourself. Pick up a book. It's so wonderful to hear from people. Like just when I drove in today, I had messages and I popped them open. And it was from, I used to work as a stringer for the Chronicle Herald. And my first editor, she just sent me a note that she read the book and loved the book. So, you know, it's just wonderful. You deserve it. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks so much for kicking off the revamp podcast with me, Michelle. Birth Road is out now, just waiting for you. Find it wherever you buy books. And thank you for listening and hanging out with us. Enjoy the rest of your day and join me next time on this book lover's journey as we try to read more, read Canadian, read local. You know, all the best things.